This episode of The Call Sheet is brought to you by Plot Devices. Creators of the Story Clock Notebook. You've probably got a lot of cool story ideas because you are a genius. But turning your ideas into actual stories can be a frustrating and lonely process. That's why Plot Devices created the Story Clock Notebook. It's purpose-built for breaking and outlining stories using the simple method of visualizing your story like a clock. Whether you're writing a screenplay, blog post, or ransom note, learn more about how to make writing less gross at plotdevices.co. That's plotdevices.co. And get 20% off your first order with the code DIRECTOR20. Welcome to the very first episode of The Call Sheet. I'm a filmmaker and your host, AJ Wedding, scouring my old call sheets for guests from the film and television industry. Ladies and gentlemen, I am here with Leonidas Jaramillo. He is one of the best DPs in the business. I like to say he's the best DP in the business, but he is underutilized thus far. He does have a movie coming out called Heart Baby. Actually, by now it's out. So Yesterday, if you want to yes. check out, yeah, Heart Baby, go to Amazon or iTunes and check it out. It's a really beautiful movie. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about how you shot it as well in this podcast, because I think uh, a lot of these people will want to know more about it. Cool. So how long have we known each other? <laughs> uh, let's see. That would have been Hotel Palomar off Wilshire. Was that 2008? Is that the first time we met? Um, we well, we spoke over the phone. You were a, a DP slash actor at the same time, <laughs> which sort of, which is you know makes sense. But um, well, no. So just to give the audience a little bit of background, uh, my friend Craig and Craig Bonacorsi and I had written a show called Infamous, and we sold it as a web series. Mm-hmm. We wanted to find a, a good DP that we could trust because we had been burned before as happens. And um, our producer, Farah Witt, said she had this great guy who she knew from school. And I, High school. High school, wow. Yeah, yeah, it was high school. And I didn't trust it one bit. Nor should you have, which is fine. <laughs> but we had a good conversation that day. And you, you had just come out from Florida? Yes. I had just relocated here to sunny Los Angeles. And... Um, yeah, I was just looking for people to shoot projects for. And what were you doing prior to that when you were in Florida? Oh, I was uh, working as a camera assistant and uh, teaching at a film school simultaneously, um, but mostly just working um, in the business freelance as a camera assistant, mostly on 35 millimeter Panavision glass. Well, and since then, you have shot, what, seven films in the last three years? Four uh, years? Three and a half, four years, yeah. One of, yeah. So, yeah. so take me back there to the, you know, you just moved to Los Angeles, you know, what was going on in your head? What was it like coming out here with, you know, very few contacts and hmm. basically just your skills and that's all you've got? Oh, it, it was, it was rough. I mean, I think uh, a lot of, a lot of us can identify with like, none of us had an uncle in the business. So, um, you just, you lit Craigslist ads and Facebook or at the time it was MySpace. <laughs> and um yeah you're just rubbing nickels together uh trying to get work working for free doing free jobs 
just so that you could meet people that sometimes don't work for free. It is interesting. I know, uh, you know, I haven't done anything really huge yet, but back then it didn't matter if it was a project that I was doing or, you know, some other, you know, big name from, you know, we, we had producers that were coming from Hellboy mm -hmm. doing short yeah. projects like this and, and pulling off. Holy cow. What was going There's on? a monster By truck the way, outside. We, we are in Santa Monica at Leo's home, which is very beautiful. And everybody should be jealous uh, that he gets to live here. Next to monster trucks. Next to monster <laughs> trucks. Because um, it's so beautiful here. Um, but no, I mean, everybody, it doesn't matter if you've already, quote unquote, made it in the business. Everyone has an idea that they're really trying to get going. And of course, we were one of those mm. people. I, I tell Leo this all the time because day one of that project I was so stressed out and so nervous because we were writers on it. We were also actors on it. And we didn't necessarily agree with a lot of the choices that were being made by production. And when they set up for the first shot, I just thought to myself, there is no way this guy is getting this shot. There, it's just, there's no way. And I watched the first take and it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And I pulled you aside and I just hugged you. And I, I had, I remember that. Yeah. You didn't see it, but I had tears in my eyes. It was like, I finally found someone I can trust. And at that point, the DP slash actor threw away the DP side of him. And uh, you have been not only uh, one of my best friends ever since, but also uh, my go-to DP for everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You made that very clear. You said, I I'm going to stop being a DP now. And, that was a big highlight for me. Well, I, t I tended to have to do it because I was protecting myself, my own ideas. Yeah. And it's hard to trust somebody. Of course. Yeah, because they, like, like all of you out there know, DPs are um, extremely powerful if they're, if they're out to, like, you know, hijack a, a, produ a producer or a production. They can, they can say they can take forever to light something or they can take hardly any time and get it right or, or what have you. And, um, because of that, there's so much that is that bottlenecks at the role of DP and, um, you know, productions rise and fall based on somebody, uh, taking the director's initiative to taking the director's vision and formulating it into physical light and lenses and, composition and camera movement and com being able to communicate that down the line. So if you don't have somebody who's on your side as the DP, then it be can, can be an uphill battle and you won't get your shots or make your day. It's true. So. And, and also just somebody you can trust with that. Uh, aside from like, are they going to follow your lead, but also do they actually know what they're, what doing? they're doing? Yeah. Because so many of them don't. And yeah. I think it was harder in the film days because film was such a magical process where yep. we don't see it till you know the next day and we don't really know what we got. And of course, by then you've put it through a bunch of processes to make it look a certain way. And yeah. that magic now is sort of gone. They want to see on the day, on the set, show me playback. Mm -hmm. And if it isn't beautiful, then you might get fired. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and, and it, it can be, that can be stressful. Um, but if you're like if you're if you're up front with your directors from day one and say you know and you you can estimate okay this camera setup is going to take roughly 15 minutes we could probably get it squeeze it down to 12 
and you say to your director or your AD, first AD, this is going to take about 12 to 15 minutes and be right about that. Be right with your estimates. Um, that has a, that's a lot because a lot of times, you know, there's a joke about how long does everything take? Oh, it's just going to take five minutes. Well, every DP, a lot of DPs can say that, but not actually know that the truck is, you know, two blocks away from the, from the grip truck. They're going to need two, two sandbags and one C-stand and a platypus and a foam core balance four by four, hopefully black and white if they, and then, so it's two blocks away. So you have to send somebody from the truck to meet halfway, go up the stairs, (laughs) and then you have to send light in so that the, so then the grips have to send like a Leco from outside the building. And so you calculate that as a DP because you, you know, if hopefully you've worked at all the different levels. You can calculate that and go, okay, that's going to be eight minutes of that, six minutes of that, blah, 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 okay. Two to set it up, five, two to finesse it, and then one to like see the light settle and not bounce anymore, and then another one for to the AD. So it's about, yeah, about 16 minutes. And you have to be right with that. So you would say your business is the business of light and time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and quality, yeah, the quality of light because everyone wants to look their best and you get rehired based on how good you look. Um, yet they want to give you as little time as possible. Right. (laughs) And so that is, uh, the balance of power right there. And, and so there's different ways to do it. You know, like there's a lot of DPs that I know that will take all the time in the world because, you know, that's either for their own sensibilities or maybe they're really into like going slow. Um, I'm the opposite. I, I try to visualize it first and foremost in pre-production. And if not in pre-production, if we don't have the luxury of that, then like the day of and like, you know, going through the script, understanding what the director has been saying all along and then following suit with that image. And then when you you know, take it to, you know, like once you get it all roughed in and look at them and they can look at the monitor and they can go, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted or "Mm, no. And you have to have a plan to go the other way. Well, you've always been very good at that. I mean, just looking at the things that we did uh, for Outlier, I mean, on my Instagram, you can see some of the prep work that we did together. Oh, yeah. I mean, even going from taking the, the blueprints of our set and cutting out a foam core and putting in Lego characters oh, and, yeah. and lighting yeah. it and just, you know, the difference between the lit Lego version and the actual version, they're pretty close. Yeah, and it, well, <laughs> it's because it's so much easier to move Lego characters or, you know, like I've done G.I. Joe, I've done Lego, I've done uh, Hero Clicks, I've done all kinds of little <laughs> little toys to represent three-dimensional sp- uh, characters in three-dimensional space and so it's much easier to move like a flashlight or a cell phone light to mimic the lighting and say is this what you're looking for and versus you know moving a 10k on a <laughs> on on a uh, roadrunner stand with sandbags and then moving like taking the locks off the tires and then pushing when time it. is like the most yeah. valuable thing right and then just like and you're on the other side of a set wall which you can't see over. So pushing like somebody you're pushing that is that light and they're like, okay, aim it up. No, low, like higher. Okay. Lower. No, 
No, pan it left. Okay, oh, squeeze. Is that flood or is it spot? And you, you could do that all with a cell phone light. You just uh, like, yeah. <laughs> AJ, is this what you're looking for? And then you take the picture and you're like, yeah, that's no, no, or yeah. And from there, so now you've done all the hard work. You've done it in miniature form. And so then when you come to the set, it's like, it's easy. I mean, that sort of goes with everything in production, right? I mean, yeah. the more you can do when time isn't a factor, mm-hmm. the better, because you're just going to be able to move that much faster. I mean, I mean, I, I won't even say how many setups we were able to get during those days, but... Nobody would believe you if you did. That's true. Nobody would believe you if they if you said that, and it would be like, oh, that's not, it's not possible. That's a lie. Yeah. It's a lie. You're guys exaggerating, but yeah. Uh, but no, and it's really because of the amount of pre-production we put in, the way we knew, all right, we've got a lot of shots to do in these particular days. Mm-hmm. How do we set it up the lighting so that it's not moving around a ton? Right. And help us out and that help us out, you know, in those movements. Yeah. Um, okay. So just take me back a little bit. Uh, obviously now you're, uh, you know, on your way to becoming a, a famous DP with Heart Baby being out there now and, and two other, was it two other movies coming out this year? Two other movies coming out and one of them might, or two of both, the, the other two might be in theaters. That's so, amazing. Which is, I mean, Heart Baby had Heart a Baby limited. was as well, yeah. Yeah, it was a limited run, but these would be like pretty big runs so wow we'll see that's amazing but take me back to you moved to la you did our little thing Mm -hmm. um we had some success but it was on a digital level uh you then went on and and tell us some about some of the jobs that you did outside of the industry that kept you going well um uh, there was a i mean the the united states was experiencing a, a downturn in the economy in 2008 and equally so, the film industry, the bottom dropped out. Almost the tax in- credits were taking things. Tax credits were else, taking right? things out of out of Los Angeles. I had um, prior to moving here, I had just been accepted into the Cinematographers Guild as a as a camera operator. And so, I moved from Florida to Los Angeles um, to move to the Western region, and. Um, of the union and you know say hey i'm here i'm ready to work i want to work on big things and um but then 2008 hit uh approximately two and a half years later and uh i had to find something else so i um started working on photo shoots as a pa and who were you working for at the time well at the time it was just a production company that did like a lot of like high profile photo shoots, but really quickly on probably in the first or second week, um, I had done like a couple of shoots with, you know, some, you know, magazines and stuff that you would see in your grocery store and like, you know, doing the covers and such. But, and then in probably I think the second end of the second week, I was working for, um, a, a production company that was, uh, that was catering to, the famous photographer Annie Leibovitz, and um, she, we were sh- we were at stage the Phantom stage at Universal. And we were doing a really big shoot called the Hollywood Issue for two thousand, was it seven? And um, yeah, and she was doing the transition into digital at the time, away from film, and I uh, stumbled upon a meeting when I was getting coffee for everybody that she needed help 
because her photo assistants knew strobe lights and they didn't know hot lights as well. They didn't know how to run a generator. They didn't know how... Very different equipment. Very yeah. different. Vastly different. It's like speaking, you know, two different languages. Uh, Cantonese and Mandarin, uh, there's some similarities, but for the most part, it's completely different. And so, like, when you have... Um, yeah, so her guys are equipped to do strobes and flash. And I remember putting coffee down because I was getting coffee. I was taking out the trash. <laughs> I was a union camera operator <laughs> working for a photo production company getting trash bags and getting coffee orders. So that was really humbling. Um, and what ended up happening was I let, I was about to leave the room and, and not say anything because of her, you know, being afraid of what she might fear. And I, uh, I said, I volunteered. I said, Hey, if you need help with those hot lights, I'm around. I can, I told my producer who was there, Cat, Cat, and I'm like, hey, Cat, I can still take out the trash. I can still get coffee orders, and in my spare time, help all those guys light. <laughs> and you don't have to pay me anything. <laughs> and and I think she could. She uh, Annie and Cat and everyone in that room, Catherine, they could all tell that I was sincere, because I said. Because it would be an honor to work for you, and I, I was talking about Leibovitz, and it still is. It's like you know, one, I was going to say for, it's it's one thing for somebody to say that, but you really mean it. When oh you yeah, say it. yeah. She was responsible for some great images in the seventies and eighties. Images I used to look at in in uh, Rolling Stone like uh, annuals, where they would like go through the best of Rolling Stone photography or. Or what have you. So she was a legend, and like any part that I could glean from such a master with the still camera was worth its weight in gold to me. It was like a nice like satellite prize for not getting to work on motion pictures like like I wanted to. A lot of actors come to town, and their sort of steady job that they get is waiting tables. And here you come to town, uh, wanting to be in the film industry, and yet going straight to the top of the photo industry. I mean, that's pretty amazing, uh, just as it is. Yeah. So you work for several big, I mean, you work for Tom Monroe, uh, uh, a bunch yeah. of big names. Patrick, tell, Patrick de Marchier. Marchier. Yeah. Tell, tell me one of the most memorable uh, photo shoots that you worked on with uh, one of them. So when I first moved out to California, I to Los Angeles in specific, uh, specifically, I had this dream. I'm like, okay, I'm going to work on Star Wars and I'm going to work on Indiana Jones. And uh, once I do that, I can punch my ticket. I'm done. <laughs> um, and it was weird because when I first moved out, you know, they there was no they, they were done with Star they Wars. They were done with Star Wars and they were done with <laughs> Indiana Jones. And so, like, one of the um, greatest things was I was working for Leibovitz uh, as a freelancer in L.A. And one of the things was uh, we, they had just announced, like, or they didn't announce. I don't think, I think it was a big secret that they were shooting Indiana Jones 4. And so I get the call. He's like, hey, uh, are you available these days? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, meet here, blah, blah. And, you know, the details were, he, were to, as they come. And sure enough, I show up and it's Warner's. And, and I'm like getting my cell phone 
you know, there's a there's an adhesive tape being applied to the lens at the time, and <laughs> and it was just like, and it, it had an ID on it, and it had a UPC label on it, and and then they would, and I was like, what is this? And it said, genre, um, the genre project, uh, and I'm like, what is the genre project that has so much security? Oh well, whatever. I'm just here to light, and. Turns out, I step onto the Warner Brothers set and I see Kate Blanchett in a <laughs> Nazi uniform, and um, and I see these huge caverns above, and then I see Steven Spielberg and George Lucas sitting in chairs in front of me, <laughs> and I'm and I'm with Annie and with Nick, and I think Paul was with us too at the time, and then Wayne was in the truck, and I was like. The hell is happening? <laughs> so then I um, and and then I see him, and it's one thing to see Harrison Ford. It's another thing to see Harrison Ford wearing an Indiana Jones fedora, oh. with like the pants, and and walking next to him is a guy who's the armorer who has the bullwhip and this handgun in a hmm. locked case. And he's walking with him everywhere until we we start to take out the camera. And then, you know, like any good Hollywood set has an armorer, they show that the the, the weapon is is clean and it's, it's a non-gun and that the whip is doesn't have any, you know, anything wrong with it that is whippy. Um, <laughs> and he hands them both to, not Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones, and then he puts it on, and then we take photographs on the set of Indiana Jones 4. So, I mean, you, you say what you will about the movie. Well, but no one had seen it at that no point. No one had it seen it, yeah. Indiana Jones. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like, I'm only two years into L.A., and I already met one of their criteria for, like, finishing my career. <laughs> um, so... It was it was amazing. It was for Vanity Fair. If you guys look, Indiana Jones, Vanity Fair, you'll see the cover has Shia LaBeouf and Indiana Jones, or sorry, Harrison Ford. <laughs> it's hard to separate the two when he's standing in front of you. It was Indiana Jones, um, and and yeah, we did we lit those photographs for Warner Brothers. It's or at the at the Warner or not at Warner Brothers. I don't, I don't know. Who. I mean, you were a part of what is. Going to go down as a collected photo, uh-huh. a collected magazine. I mean, that's got to feel pretty crazy. Oh, yeah. And just to be there on set with them must have felt like this is where you should be. Well, <laughs> it's it's interesting because, um, I gotta, I mean, for all your your listeners, it's like it's it's hard to explain because the photo business and the and the motion picture business are two different parts. They they don't talk to each other. They don't have this. They have different languages. They're all using light and cameras and lenses, but they're using them in totally different ways. Um, where one is storytelling, the other one is either selling something or selling an idea or a person. And and so stills being that, and then um, and and so when you look at a movie poster, you suddenly you, you get a, you get a feeling for the movie. But when you watch a movie, you get a feeling for the story. So when I stepped on set, I I've always saw myself as a cinematographer and motion picture guy. But then to see 
any like uh, I don't know like a four hundred person set, like <laughs> motion picture set, like literally like stop what they're doing. Sound guy, boom guy, camera operators, cam- focus pullers, ads, stuntmen and women, uh, grips, electrics, e- e- costumers, all these makeup artists. They all stopped what they were doing and they went, oh dang. That's Annie Leibovitz and her team. <laughs> we will stop what we're doing and just watch. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> and it and it was it was weird because I felt like, no, no, no. I'm one of you guys. I'm like <laughs> I'm one of you guys. But I wait. I guess I'm not really because now I'm one of her guys. And to be in the service and the company of Leibovitz was an honor um, on that on that day. Because they gave us carte blanche. They said, whatever we needed, we got because we were with her. And it was sure. And it was amazing. It was amazing. Like she was telling George Lucas and Steven Spielberg where to stand in relation <laughs> to Indiana Jones on the set. Like that's like just like cuz even then, you know, even Take some moxie. Yeah, even then at that point, at that level, Steven Spielberg is telling Indiana Jones where to stand and where to be and how the light should be, you know, like telling uh Janusz Kaminski where everything should be. I mean, you have some great stories too. I mean, just kind of going through it. I you know, I don't know if the, I don't know blah, blah, blah. I don't know that I know the story completely of how you got your first feature. Isn't that with you? Was I your first? No, I feel like you already did a feature with somebody, didn't you? I'm uh, pretty well. Like, was Jokesters the first? I think Jokesters was officially the first. Oh my gosh, I feel so honored. We were brought in and, and basically said, "Look, we're not going to get much uh, creative choice uh, as to what the story is going to be, but but should we work on this together and 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 make it and just you know let this be a good practice for us to make a movie? I mean, who doesn't want to make a movie? Right." And I remember kind of your moment of, of walking on that set and seeing all of those people there. You know, you and I sort of had that moment when we first arrived. With all the trucks and all the yeah, the makeup motorhome and everything <laughs> and the and the portable potties. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. a much smaller set than uh, Indiana Jones, to be sure. Right. But for all of those people to be there. as my portable potty. It's right. And they're, <laughs> it's, it's like, <laughs> but they're, they're there looking at us going, right. all right, what's what are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah. And, you know, if, if you don't know, you're in trouble, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean to be fair, I think I think I I think I know what you're referencing. I I did do a smaller movie on an HVX 200, and it was a feature, um, but it never got out. So I don't really, I don't really call that my first feature. Oh, I yeah, see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, your ours got well, out. For some reason, I thought there was another one that was a bigger one that was before us. But I'm I'm actually really, that's actually really. Uh, comforting to me that oh. it was your first well it was sort of yeah. feature that got out I'm trying, yeah i'm pretty sure like da- yeah there was this david movie is something called david and then um and it, you know it was, it was small it was hvx 200 so well i mean there was some really interesting stuff that we were able to do even with a found footage film because you know that was that was sort of the achilles heel that we were dealing with which mm-hmm. was that this isn't a, a found footage film you're this great cinematographer in my mind and you know I'm a director. I you know I right. deal with actors and and camera sometimes, but you know I really sold to the producers that we needed to use a real cinematic camera exactly. and just outfit it in such a way that 
it feels like a found footage camera. Found footage, yeah. And I think we, you know, the, the, end, the look we ended up with was so much better because of that, but you were the one who really put it through those paces to get it into that kind of shape. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen a big movie production, but what was really amazing about this camera setup, he's, uh, so Leo was also operating the camera. Mm-hmm. He's got this easy rig that's this big bar that goes up over his head and drops down like a steel cord that holds the camera so it can still feel like it's handheld. Right. Everything is wirelessly controlled. Yep. And you had a monitor on your back. Yes. And our first AC, Nick Kramer. And then Jose, uh, and then Josh and then Miller. Josh Miller, who took for, over. For a couple of days and then yeah. back to Nick Kramer, yeah. Uh, had, to, had to deal with Focus and Iris... And Zoom. And Zoom all yeah. at the same time off of that like five-inch monitor on your back. Yep. <laughs> with the boom guy like running alongside of you guys. Uh, yeah, yeah. That was fun. All to make it look like, I mean, we, we could have just cheaped out and done it the easy way, but we really wanted to be able to control in post sort of all of the cinematic elements. Yeah. And I think we ended up even getting a bad review for that <laughs> because it looked too cinematic for a found footage film. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because you think you say found footage and like you can see a distinct timeline in in all of, of the film libraries at like around 2012 to 2014 or 15. It was like that was the, the age of the found footage, whether it's like <laughs> um, uh, as above, so below or um, or what's the one with all the girls in like underground in the caverns of mexico uh, oh uh, um yeah I, the ruins the ruins the ruins yeah, or like or the one with the was pe- that found footage i don't remember i didn't uh, see it i feel like it was it wasn't yeah i mean found footage was a thing and then the 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 impetus for all of it was the the guy paranormal activity activity yep yeah that was like oh my gosh we can all now we can do this and all the producers <laughs> are like licking their chops because they're like, wait, this, I can look, I can use crappy cameras and low budget crew and make gajillions of dollars. Sign me up. And so, um, but ours was too cinematic looking, which is a great thing to air on. I think um, so. And I yeah. think, you know, the actors did an incredible job and, oh yeah, you know, say what you want for it. I think it, it ended up looking uh, really good. Uh, but then after that, you went on to make several movies Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the next movie you made? Um, well, it was it was on the Jokesters where I think we finished two days early. <laughs> yes. Yeah, which is kind of, I don't know if you you guys have done this before in a you know, motion picture shoot, but you're not supposed to finish early because <laughs> it's unheard of. It's like... It, they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. And so we had... There were some issues, like you know, with that. Do we but, pay them? Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's all. <laughs> but the, you know, the in the end, they the producers paid the crew the extra days that they didn't shoot because I mean, my argument was that like you need to pay them because the the reason why well we're you're that still fast. yeah and you're still saving money money yeah you exactly. know for everything else because they ended up you know we had the whole snow program that had to be finished by a certain day right. And all of that stuff ended on time, so they didn't have to pay all the extra stuff for that. So it ended up saving them money, even if they paid the crew. Right. And so the, the thing about this movie 
was um, right before I had quit and um, not working. I, I, I was like, I was done with, I think I had maxed out what I could do with the Leibovitz studio when they came to town in LA. And um, and so it was a specific job, I remember. And I, I said, okay, I'm calling it quits on this. And I'm going to go make movies now because that's where I'm better suited. And because I had had all that training lighting under her and working with at the highest levels with the deepest amount of precision I knew my way around a lighting truck really well and I knew what looked good and what didn't look good for whatever situation we were thrown and what was the best solution what was the fastest solution and what was the the cheapest solution and those are all different and so well like they say you know you've got you've got uh fast good and cheap yeah. but you have to pick two yeah exactly right? <laughs> and and the, each e- even though you pick two you you have consequences that exactly. are different for each of the pairs that you whatever pick, your choice whatever is. your choice is <laughs> so um so when i attack when we attack this movie um we move so quick and aj you're a great director you know exactly what you want which is um which is very rare because a lot of people have a shotgun approach like let's oh, just shoot it let's just shoot it because we're here and not because we need it but just because we're here and that's kind of an improper way of being sometimes i mean to cover your your tail yes i think that's wise at some point but there is also the minutia of covering too much which can destroy your schedule later on down the line so um, I finished that movie in record time. Didn't take long for that that news to spread, and then I got my next movie, which is Because of Gracia, with a Canadian director, Tom Symes, and then um, that was a union movie, and then that began a slew of union features that were above two million uh, for the next several years. So, and that led to Heart Baby, which uh, just came out. That led to Heart Baby, which. Yeah. Tell me about that experience because you, so this is a movie that takes place primarily inside of a prison in Louisiana. I had done a job um, for um, a great organization. You guys should check it out. The Children's Defense Fund. And it's, um, it, you know, it's an outreach that looks uh, towards, this is not a plug. I don't work for them, but you know, like obviously children. And um, the organizer of that is this person named Katie McGrath. She's like the CEO of the company of that organization. She's married to JJ Abrams and together they make bad robot, um, <laughs> which is a company I think everybody knows of. So I did it uh, through a, a director friend of JJ's had a project. And so I shot this transgender piece uh, outlining a, an LA teen um, who uh, identified as a male, but was born as a female. What was really interesting is after, upon wrapping that, I got a call uh, from the production of Heart Baby, and they're saying, "Hey, we we're interested in like you coming on board. Have you done? Have you have you done anything related to this piece and um, to this content? Are you are you okay with the trends?" a trans person content and, and I'm like um, and I'm looking at the, the like the footage <laughs> what, shot, yeah. what I shot like a week ago and I'm like yeah actually uh, I have this piece right here I'm like oh yeah who's this with and then when you say bad robot 
everyone ear, everyone's ears perk up. They're like, what? Oh, mm, let's take a look. And, you know, it's out there. And they saw it and they go. And that was the beginning of it. I didn't get the job just yet. That the, um, the director wanted to talk to me. And, you know, over the course of a couple, like one major phone call and the follow-up phone call, uh, the job became mine. Wow. Yeah. It was because a combination of the AD from one of the other movies, Camp Cool Kids, which is on Netflix now, um, was there and was witness to the speed at which I moved. Um, and, in a, and, and then so she had moved on to this project. And in addition... Another actor had moved on that I knew from the past moved on to this project. So both of them said my name in the ear of the director. And then Angela Shelton and I became really fast friends um, after those couple of phone calls. So. And what's it like? Because you did, you shot in an actual prison that was at the time a working prison. Yes. So how does that work? What do you, <laughs> I mean, well, tell, just tell me about that. Oh, it's, it's insane. Um, it, it, what's really amazing is that w- our content relied on, um, you know, it was set in the 80s. And even though we were shooting in Louisiana, it was set in Tennessee in 1984. And it's, it's a true story of the prison boxing system then. So, you know, every day to set, we'd walk in through the main security gate and to the left would be the inmates and then to the right would be us. And then we'd go into one wing and they'd go into the other wing. And uh, it was crazy because, you know, when they were coming in from outside, um, they would be shackled, uh, waiting arraignment from a judge or what have you. And it would be, it'd be like a holding facility for them. So they're in orange jumps or I think orange or yellow jumpsuits. And they had uh, shackles on their wrists and their ankles and they were connected. And then we were carrying camera equipment <laughs> and makeup and and things in, into the prison. So it was, it was really strange. Uh, we shared the prison yard and we shared the cafeteria. You have some incredible actors. I mean, talk a little bit about that. Oh, my gosh. Well, Angela like is amazing at getting talent. Like, like you know, her scripts are pretty amazing. So... Um, you know, the, there's some caliber, high caliber people there. And that's where you met Abraham Ben Ruby, who's become one of my favorite actors. Oh my gosh. And he came and he did our little, uh, short film with us. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's total D and D nerd and just n- like cool guy. Um, <laughs> but it's funny cause you know, when I'm, 44. So those of you who are my age will probably remember this show called Parker Lewis Can't Lose. <laughs> and, you know, he's standing there and I'm like, oh my God, it's Gary Kubiak. <laughs> and it, in that show, he was like such a, he was the bad guy. He was a bad guy. He hated but nerds. He, he was, was a likable like, bad guy. Like a li- yeah, yeah, but still, like when you meet him, he's like, he knows more about art than Oh yeah, five people combined in Santa Monica right now. Yeah, well, he's just he's <laughs> he's just a a a, a true learner, like a a great like I don't, know, I don't know. He should. He's an artist. He's an sure. artist. He's just, and you know, there's nothing that is, you know, if it's good people, then it's not below him. You know, so it's like. Always, and talk about Sean because Sean just really, I mean, Sean explodes on screen in this movie. Sean Cullen Young. Uh, the hyphen is with Sean, not with uh, Colin Young. Cullen Young. So it's, it's Sean, Sean Cullen. Cullen. 
and yeah. then young. Um, but he's a gifted, gifted actor out of uh, New Mexico. Um, he, he's on True Detective. He was on um, Godless, and he was on our movie and other movies. So, well, in this movie, he has to be a trans uh, woman. A trans woman who is not yet trans because they didn't convert their bodies yet in the 1980s. Right. So they didn't have like too many. I don't think they had hormone pills as much as they did. They do now. But and as well as the surgery. So, um, yeah, it was it. Uh, that's who he portrayed. Uh, Crystal. Uh, Crystal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, in the, in the just an incredible job. I mean, oh my God, what a performance! And you captured it so beautifully. Yes, um, yeah. We, Sean and I, had met on Camp Cool Kids, which is a camp kids movie on Netflix. Like, if you look at it, it very looks, different style, very different style. <laughs> and he, he's uh, th- those of you who know Sean and, and know his work. He's also a really gifted acting coach. And so he was coaching children oh. on the side, um, and Lisa was directing. So he was just giving them notes um, and 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 like for their performance. So little cues. A lot of them came out of uh, his school, my uh, Anthony Mendel, that he also trains with. So um, yeah, and we met there, and he's looking at the footage uh, with the director, Lisa Arnold fabulous lady and director and and they are they're looking at the images coming in and they're realizing i think that the images don't look like your average (laughs) summer camp kids movie on netflix so um nor would they with you at the helm well it was just (laughs) it's just it's just when you work so much with at the at the levels that you know i've been exposed to um your 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 quest for perfection is is down to the minute and so and and to the angle and to the intensity of certain pieces of light that are hitting ancillary parts of the frame and so you see everything because you're scared that a publicist or an agent or somebody who represents <laughs> a huge huge name is looking at you going nope that's not how our star normally looks with a so and so and so and so and what's it's ever and <laughs> and you're like oh my god please don't fire me <laughs> And so that's like that's the motor or the footsteps that you hear. Well, but yeah. you you've had such a history of being able to work, uh, you know, mainly on a lot of the things that I've done, but in a low production env- or low uh, budget environment, yeah. where we're really trying to push the envelope and make something look incredible for the price. Yeah, and that's I think that really speaks to your ability because now someone you know puts money in front of you. And you still have that ability. And I think your look kind of came from that time when you had to work with nothing. Yes. And so the money ends up going into places where it's more useful. Yeah, like getting a big celebrity or getting like a better location or better lenses. Or a techno crane. Or a techno crane. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 It's like I always... I think I've always told you the you know I, I come from uh, Central Florida, which is like who comes from Central Florida, um, <laughs> right in the shadow of the Walt Disney World there, and uh, the, another person. There's two other people that came from, you know, Central Florida, um, in the surfing world, 
and um, one of them's Lisa Anderson, the other one's Kelly Slater. Both of those people went on to be like the top surfers in the world for a long amount of time, like a probably easily almost a decade a piece. And we had some really small waves in Orlando, in Cocoa Beach, and it's and you know I I feel like. Once they were went to Hawaii for the first time, or Costa Rica, or California, they're like going, "Oh man, look at what I can do with this wave! <laughs> like they can do so much with it." And that's kind of how it feels when you come from a small uh, world view with limited resources and zero time and no money, and and then all of a sudden it's like, "Oh, here's." Of you know a small budget, a five million dollar movie, but it's big to me. And then you're like, wow, that's that's a lot of money. What <laughs> what, what what do I get? <laughs> you know, like what do I, that's that's more money than I can even think of right now. And for those of you who can't tell, Leo was an English major in college, <laughs> and he yeah uh, he's very good at the uh, the analogies. Oh, and yeah. and you're actually writing as well now, right? Yeah, I've got like a couple of things that, you know, I think would be neat to see on on screen. Um, you know, I, I started off as a, an English major, like you said. I was also art history. Um, and, and, and I was able to take all those into film because if you think about art history, you think about composition, influence, you think about like, you know, uh, blue periods and dark periods and storm and stress and... Rococo and Renaissance and then you think about all these different style structures and then you start looking at the paintings and going wait a second Caravaggio is single source lighting coming from 45 degree angle left or right and then you look at Vermeer and you're like really soft light all around and then you start thinking wait a second this is cinematography cinematography has been in art forever and then so whether it's a Dutch master or an Italian fresco it's like, okay, so you look at it, Tintoretto and how Tintoretto does a sky, and you're like, wow, that's pretty cool. How do you do that with a camera? Okay, you get a double polarizer, you shoot it like this, you can crunch down the, you know, get get exposure on this, and then you can do that. Oh, wait, now you got your foregrounds all dark. Okay, well, that's that doesn't work. So then you start thinking about sky replacement, and then it's just like, oh, that's what you would do. Okay, <laughs> so you, you let's shoot plates of the sky, and then then let's shoot our talent, and then make let's lock off the camera so VFX doesn't yell at you. And then you're like, <laughs> okay, this is that's how you get uh you know Bernini or Tintoretto or whatever. And then and then you look at your story structure with English and go rising act you know, like introduction, rising action, climax, falling action, resolution. You're like, whoa, that's a movie too. Huh, I wonder if you could do that within the scene. Oh, with a camera, doing the same exact thing. Okay, so let's introduce the characters. Okay, so a wide shot. Okay, and then we start pushing in as your rising action. And then there's like this heated exchange or climax. And then you start pulling out. It's like, oh my God, that's the same thing. So, so if anybody listening to this is a producer or a director and they don't call you to hire you, then they don't know what they're doing after hearing all of that. Well, it's, I mean, it's just like, it's, it's like these epiphanies and it's just like seeing what you learn in, in academia and then attributing it to real life and going, Sam, what works well, you, and what doesn't You and work. I have both had this, uh, this opportunity where we've been able to teach kids. I mean, I mm -hmm. much less than you because you had full sale university and Santa Monica college after that. Yeah. I mean, I got to 
have your uh, Santa Monica College kids on our pilot we did, which was amazing, and they were incredible, and we've hired them several times since. I'm going to hire them again. Um, of course. And uh, and for me, you know, I, I, this past month, I was able to go to uh, Western Michigan and uh, and teach some kids there. And just, you know, being able to impart some of this is really um, a, a fun thing uh, for us, but also for them, because a lot of film schools don't teach what you actually need to know about Very filmmaking. Very true. Yeah. And this is something you and I have, you know, yelled about many times. You know that kids come out of film school a lot of times don't know what how to do the job they're going to end up doing for the next five years ten years mm -hmm. well yeah i think a lot of it is um the teachers at film schools that i've seen academia is one thing the professional world of making films is a totally different thing well sure and that's yeah. not to knock them i mean they're yeah. teachers i mean they yeah. serve a very specific purpose it's not for everybody, certainly not for me, uh, mm -hmm. though, you know, it was very interesting to do it. Uh, but again, you know, the difference between doing it and teaching it is what year is it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, then that's, that's, that's the, the important thing to remember is that when you are working as a freelancer in Los Angeles, in Hollywood, you are at the apex of the of our craft there's there's no better there's no better crew in the world than an la film crew so sure so when you're when you're operating at those levels because you're not behind the walls of an institution um you're you're you're, you're you have access to the a plus plus talent and their agents who are looking at you going you better make my celebrity look great and it's the latest technology. And it's the, and it's, so, it's right now. Yeah, yeah. Everything, the new techniques, it's all of that. Right. And so that, that challenge is a daily challenge. It's almost like somebody waiting at you by your bedside and you wake up and that person is like saying to you, are you going to be amazing? Because I need more than that right now. And that's, and when, when you're in academia, it's today's Monday. It's a study. Today's Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Today's Wednesday. I'm going to get a paycheck on Friday and postulate about a Quentin Tarantino movie. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, so if I'm wrong, it's cool because the students don't know the difference. So like when I would go into teach, it would be a totally different scenario. And I would, I would literally get up and say, okay, these are the five things that you can do to not get fired your first day. Very important. Very important. These are the <laughs> next things that you can do to get hired. Totally. Also different. Okay. And then this is what you need to be. You need to be faithful. You need to be available. You need to be teachable. And um, and you put those. It's a FAT. This is my acronym. Ah, I like faithful, that. Faithful, available, teachable. And so. You should and make I, a shirt. I think well, it's a good shirt. And so like, yeah. And, and one of those. And, and so like, you know, I'm going to call him out because if you're listening Mac Meyer, uh, one of the <laughs> one of the better students of Santa Monica, um, which you and I both yeah, know. I love Mac. Yeah, he's great, and he know he knew nothing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a blank slate is better than someone who's learned all the wrong things. Right, and and so you know, I look, I look, I'm very fond of you know. I think a lot of my crew are. So it's 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 like 
and you can spot that a mile away. Sure. So if you're, you know, in a teaching position or a position of power on a film set, you can see like right away who you're going to bring back. Leo, it's always great chatting with you about filmmaking. And uh, I mean, I could do this all the time. I'd much rather be making films with you than talking about it. But this will have to do for the moment. Leo is also currently working on Star Trek Picard, which is an awesome new show starring Patrick Stewart. That's it for this episode of The Call Sheet. I'm your host, AJ Wedding. You can follow me on Instagram for more information about The Call Sheet at that director AJ. See you next time.